So I don't know if you know, I was supposed to go uh, skydiving yesterday. And it didn't happen. Yeah, six and a half hours of waiting and kind of like when you really want something for Christmas, right? And then Christmas morning hits and it's like, oh, we didn't buy you anything. It's like, oh. Anyway, uh, we, we've been uh, to Haiti, if you didn't know this, and I'm going to introduce you to Luke. I asked Luke to come and just share a couple things about his experience with the trip. And then uh, in probably a few months, we're going to give you an opportunity to go to Haiti if you'd like to actually go. Oh. Um, my name is Luke Severn, and I was asked to go along to Haiti to take photos and create a portfolio storybook for the organization of God's Chosen Ones Ministry, or GCOM for short. And this is my first photo. It's the Haitian equivalent of our White House, and it's broken, clearly, <laughs> and weak. And it's really representative of the Haitian government, because it is broken, and it's really corrupt. And instead of fixing their White House or building streets, They'd rather get drunk or buy their 14-year-old son a new Land Rover. So it was weird being in a country with a government completely corrupt, and that does nothing. Uh, next photo. This is a school site that GCOM is supporting. It's rubble right now, but there used to be a school there, and they're planning to build a nice school with um, a better facility later in the future. Um, and I got to meet this guy named John Mark, who dug for nine hours around the circumference of uh, the school. And he, we keep in touch through emails. And last week he sent me an email that said, um, thank you for your prayers. Uh, they're really needed because I can't have a good life in Haiti. But I know that God is good. Uh, next photo. This is a pastor from Louisiana praying for a mother and her child. And this was all I could really do is pray for people, but it would be kind of awkward if I, like, took a photo while I was praying for people, so I took a picture of this guy. Um, next photo. This is some kids in a tent city that I got to hang out with for a couple of hours, and they live in the tents, and the streets are messed up. There's garbage everywhere. And in Haiti, there's not a lot to do when you're poor, and it's the majority of people are poor, so they just sit around or beg or do odd jobs. And it was really nice meeting these kids. Uh, next photo. This photo is, I was standing on a second story and I took it straight down of this girl. And I try to represent Haiti in these photos that I showed you. And Gary, who's the co-founder of GCOM, he said on the second day that the children are the future and the hope of Haiti. And it's what we do to grow them up to be strong and bright. and. Uh, this photo kind of is my is the way that I could express that, where Haiti is this dark and broken place, but the kids are bright, and we can help create their future to be bright. And it's kind of like a contrast of light and dark. Um, so I ask you in the next couple of weeks, just pray and talk to God and see if he opens your hearts to give to Haiti and uh, for your hearts to be open because our work is not done and we will be doing stuff to help heal Haiti in the future. Thank you. You know, whatever Luke says, I just like to listen to because he's just funny people. 
Hey, uh, if you are new today, today's your first time, you picked a great day to come. Um, I, I told the guys this weeks weeks ago. Uh, we did this whole thing where I talked about masculinity and guys and what God calls men to. And then I said, I said, oh, you wait, ladies, it's coming because we're going to be talking to you. And so this is the week. So nice. If it's your first time, you're going to be like, Wow, crazy. Uh, if you are new there and you don't own a Bible, there's Bibles in the back. You can have one. If you forgot one, you'd like to use one, you can take one and use it while you're here. Uh, you can even throw it in your car. So every time you come back, you got a Bible in your car when you come to Element. Uh, there's also sermon notes and all the communion tables around the room. So if you would like to take notes home from the sermon today. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm laughing because I've already gone through one service of this. So we'll see how you guys do. Why don't you stand there reading the God's Word? You get offended this morning, good for you. All right, uh, this, is pro- this is how the whole thing is going to go. This is Proverbs 12, verse 4, and says, A wife of noble characters or husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. Yes, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for being a God who reveals truth uh, to us as your children. And we ask that we would be more enamored by what you call us to than the things our culture throws at us. Have us be those people. Uh, that can truly make a difference in the world around us because we're living as you call us to live. Amen. Have a seat. So if you're Bible, you can open to Esther chapter 5. This is week 8 of Esther. When we finish today, we'll be halfway done. Actually, we've got 15 weeks of Esther, so halfway through today's message, we'll be halfway done. Great. Okay. Anyway, uh, ladies, as I said, you, you may hate today, you may love it, I don't know, but by the end of this, I will tell you to how to get most of your husbands to do anything for you. But it requires you to be something as well. You need to be subtle and lovely. Subtle and lovely. Many times, uh, couples, they will, they will get in these fights and these battles all about pride, about who is better, who's going to apologize first, whose fault it is, who is wrong. I will tell you that your husband should be seeking you like Christ seeks the church. He loves the church. He takes care of his church. He fixes the messes that his church gets into because he takes responsibility for your husband. So it should be like that for you. But I told you that many times guys are crazy and sometimes they don't react the best in case you didn't know that. Uh, This means on your end you should be lovely and gracious as well. Now, I am not a sexist, but I believe married couples should have lots of sex. And if you don't learn to love each other and offer each other dignity and respect, then it's not going to be good or fulfilling. And God wants it to be good and fulfilling. Amen? Yes. Don't say it unless you mean it. Okay. All right. So after the fall, uh, our first parents sinned and an entire gender war has sprung up out of the fall about who is better. Again, I will tell you, neither one of us is better. We are all awful. Jesus is good. That's how it works. And so when you look at Esther, feminists just don't know what to do with it because you have, you have Queen Vashti who doesn't do the thing her husband asked her to do and she is killed for it. And then they hate Queen Esther because she gets what she wants because she's subtle and lovely. It's crazy. So here, here's the background uh, of where we're at this week. The Persian king loves his wine and his women, doesn't have any backbone when it comes to his friends. As I said, he asked his first wife to do something that, that she probably shouldn't have done. It was very degrading, so she refuses. And the king then has her killed for it. And then he talks to all of his buddies and says, now what should I do? And his buddy goes, but he said, oh, well, let's get all the best-looking virgins in the country. Give them a year's worth of beauty treatments. They'll come and spend one night with you. Then you get to pick the best one, and she can be the next queen. And the king says, sounds like a good idea. Ah, my friends are brilliant. So they do this. 
This is not a good idea, by the way, just in case you don't know. Uh, so, so they do this, and eventually uh, this woman named Esther becomes queen, who is a Jew, but the king does not know she is a Jew. After she becomes queen, uh, this lady named Esther, her uncle Mordecai, has a little run-in with the king's advisor, Haman. He will not bow down to the king's advisor. And so Mordecai offends Haman. And when Haman gets offended, he decides he wants to kill every single Jew in Persia and not just Mordecai. So he gets the king to sign off on this deal. Mordecai finds out about it. He goes to Esther and he says, Esther, do something. You are the queen. And Esther says, like that has ever helped a queen before in Persia. And so Mordecai basically says, God brought you to this place at this moment to do something. And so Esther says, okay, okay, tell the people to fast. That means we're going to tell them to pray and I will try and do something. So this is when she starts to do something this week. Esther chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day, this is three days after the Jews started fasting. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The Hebrew actually says that she put on royalty. And she put on full dress crown. She is dressed like a queen. And it says the king was sitting on his royal throne. The Hebrew for this is bet how Malkut, and this means on his royal throne. So the queen is in full splendor of royalty. The king is in full splendor of his royalty uh, in the hall facing the entrance. Okay, so, so where this throne is and what's taking place, this is the exact same place that Vashti in chapter 1 threw her party and that she was probably hauled off to be killed at in this same place. So Esther is now coming before the king, full royalty, in the same place where the last queen was killed by doing something that offended the king. Now, at this point, what, what you had to do in order to go before the king is the king had to actually invite you. You just couldn't show up and go, I'm going to go see the king. You showed up to the king unannounced. Most times you got killed. The only way you didn't is he takes his golden scepter and he holds it out to you. And then you, you get to live. And so Esther is taking a very big gamble by doing this. And what you see is Esther starts to change from Esther the beauty queen to Esther the true queen. And so it says this, when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased, good thing, with her and held out the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. This is relief as it washes over her. Uh, verse 3, then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? And, and you just you got to love the NIV, which most of you read from. In the NIV, it kind of misses all the nuances that are in, in Scripture. This Literally, this means what troubles you, what is bothering you. Esther is probably shaking in her royal dress. It's like, what's, what's up with my wife? You know, what's going on? She she's probably shaking, scared to death that she is going to be killed at this point. The, the, the words, what is it? It actually is also used, Genesis 127. You have Hagar and Ishmael. They get cast out, and Ishmael is almost dead in the desert from dehydration. His mom is freaking out, and she cries out to God. And an angel of the Lord shows up, and Genesis 21:17 says, What's the matter, Hagar? It's the same words. She's totally freaking out. Uh, Psalm 114, verse 5. It talks about the Israelites when they're fleeing the Egyptians and they go across the Red Sea and God's presence essentially makes the Red Sea flee before him. In Psalm 114, verse 5, it says, What alarmed you, O sea? It's the same words. So it's much more than, what is it? It's like, you're scared to death. I see it. What's, what's bothering you? What is it, Queen Esther? And he says, what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given you. It's like, wow, that's a, that'll do the trick right there. Half the kingdom, just put my people over there. And, and That's not actually, it's a, it's a way of being nice. 
It's not actually something they actually do. It's a, it's a nice figure of speech. And so here's Edder, Esther's subtleness. Verse 4. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. So Esther says, I made you dinner. It's your favorite meal. How about you come to it? You'll, you'll love it. And then you guys will bring your best friend, Haman. Oh, and I'll make dinner for you guys. You guys will totally love it. What a thoughtful wife. And so like a happy guy, he's like quick about it. He goes, he goes, bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asked. So the king and Haman went to the, to the banquet Esther had prepared. He's like, my wife made me a steak, handed me the remote control, and so I'm going to call my buddy to come over, and we're going to watch the game. Oh, what a beautiful day. Verse 6, as they were drinking wine, the king asked Esther, now what is your petition? It will be given you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Again, figure of speech. Now, watch Esther's subtleness and her craftiness here. Verse 7. Esther replied, My petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor and it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for who? What does it say? Them. Now, the first time she says, Oh, it's all for you. This time she suddenly just says, Oh, it's for both of you. What you see here is that Esther knows her man. She knows him really well, and she knows what's going to set him off. Again, she says the first banquet's for him. This, the second one is for both of them. And he is a jealous guy, and she just took his best friend, Haman, who's trying to kill all the Jews, and put him on level footing in her mind, and probably in his mind, with the king. And what you'll see in the text in the next couple of weeks is this actually causes the king to lose sleep. He's like, why am I so vexed thou with what has just happened to me? And he thinks about this, and he loses sleep. It, it's amazing. Esther is brilliant. She subconsciously is getting the king all riled up. She exploits Haman's weakness of his own self-importance. In verse 9, Haman, or Haman goes home oblivious that the king's getting all irritated. In verse 12, he tells his wife, Esther must really like me. I must be the greatest person. Oh, it's so wonderful. Yeah, she's going to get you, buddy. It's Awesome. Again, just listen to these words. My petition and request is this. If the king regards me with favor, this is the word grace, and it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. This is Esther. She is subtle. She is smart. She is lovely. She is brilliant. And this is what all guys seem to be afraid of when it comes together in a woman, but it is so hot. I think my wife is all these things, like double on the hot part, and it's, and it's great. I, and this, this threatens so many guys to have women like this. And just like I talked to you about the biblical mandate for men being cultivators, warriors, and sages a few weeks ago, today we're going to briefly discuss femininity from scriptures. And ladies, I'm going to tell you how many times to get what you want. You don't need a, a hammer and a mallet. You need to be subtle and, and lovely. I'm going to start, and, and you're not going to come back next week. And <laughs> be plenty of parking. Uh, from, uh, just like I do with the guys, I'm going to start in Genesis, show you what God calls women to be in Genesis. We're going to talk about some myths that have come about in our culture uh, after the fall and this gender war that sprung up. And then I'm going to take you to the book of Proverbs, and we're going to look at eight different types of women from the book of Proverbs. Again, uh, Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 says, Husbands are to love their wives, wives are to respect their husbands. He stresses the responsibility of what we are supposed to be and do. So in Genesis, what you will see is that God is a triune God. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. They have each have different personalities, but it is one God. Ephesians 1, 3-14 talks about this, about this, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, one God. Mark 12, 29, the Lord our God is one Lord, that is one God. 
And so when God creates, what he does is he makes male and female with distinctive gender differences. They are much more than just cultural conditioning. A woman doesn't have to carry a fire hose or, or learn how to be in a boxing match to be equal because you are equal from creation. And a man doesn't have to give birth, thank God, to be equal. We're equal because of creation. And I told you that, that God gave man certain domains, cultivator, warrior, and sage. He is supposed to be the person that is providing for you, taking care of you, doing all that he can to make you feel loved and honored, offering dignity and grace to you. That's his job. But he also gave the woman certain domains as well. And I'm going to I'll point these out to you right here. The first thing is this. So you don't forget what I talk about. I'm not saying women go be barefoot and pregnant. And that's not what I'm saying at all. The first thing is that I'll show you that God created you to be equals. Men and women are equals. Genesis 1.28. The woman was created out of the sight of the man to be his equal. The second thing. A woman was created to be a mother of fruitful children. The third thing, Genesis 2, 18 to 20, uh, the woman was to be a helper to her husband. And I believe this is in a myriad of ways, but mostly in creating a God-glorifying culture. People who think that the Bible want women weak don't know their Bible. God is called our helper. The Holy Spirit was to be our helper. There is no denigration in the term helper. We don't say, oh yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. He's the weak, helpless, fruitless member of the Godhead. We don't say things like that. Nothing gets done without the Holy Spirit. Now, studies have consistently shown, consistently shown that women usually find fulfillment in careers that they deem as helpful. They gain satisfaction from helping others. Teaching, nursing, even daycare, even airline attendants, uh, makeup artists. They, when women gravitate to careers like this because they feel they are being helpful. Now, Adam, I believe he was very glad to get a helpful wife. I believe God walks Eve down the aisle and gives her to Adam as a wife because God knew Adam needed help. He's like, dude, you're going to mess it all up. You need a woman. You need a woman. Uh, the woman was also created to live as a daughter of her God, her father. Genesis 2, and 23. And she was to be a holy lover to her husband because what was taken out of the man was reunited to the man. This means sex is to be free and abundant in marriage. You should be sexually liberated, but in marriage. Hey, so you have mother, helper, daughter, lover. Beautiful things. Just like the man was cultivator, warrior, and sage. But Satan steps into the picture. He deceives the woman. She sins and falls. He says, hey, it would be better for you if you were independent. If you were separated from your husband, from that man, and you were separated from that God, because they're always going to try and tell you what to do. And you need to be independent. Be your own woman. Don't listen to them. And so she believes it. And she hides from God and her husband, and she becomes independent. She determines her own life. But unfortunately, independence is not always good. Her sin brought her independence. Her husband was responsible for her. So he is in sin as well. When the serpent shows up and starts going, Hey, Eve, Adam should have been like, Get out of the way, Eve. Boom, talking snake. That's what you do, right? I might run away. Ah, get a stick. You know, and go back and feel. But he should have stepped in and said, this is not good. I'm going to protect my wife. And he doesn't. And because of their sin, God imposes certain curses on Satan, the man, and the woman. For the man, his curse is related to his domain of his work and provision of being cultivator, warrior, and sage. Um, what you see is God says this, Genesis 3.19, To the man, by the sweat of your brow you will eat food until you return to the ground. This means everything a guy does is going to be hard. 
It's going to be tough. You, you will save a little bit of money. Something will break. You'll have to spend that money on that. It's like, I can never get ahead. And why does God do that? Because He loves you. That's why, God, honestly, He does that. Because as everything in this world fights against you, you will see how mankind fights against God, and you will desire grace. You're like, oh, man, we need grace. Yes, we do. And for the woman, her curse is related also to her domain. A mother, culture builder, daughter, wife. Verse uh, 3.16 in Genesis says, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Is this true? Yeah, I've heard. It's like war stories. Listen to women talk about giving birth. It's like 36 hours of labor. And this bowling ball came out of my ear. And I don't want to hear it. There's there's stories. I don't want to hear it. And then he says this, And your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. This literally means that you will want to take his domain from him. You will think you're not doing it well enough, fast enough, the way I want you to do it, and I'm going to step in, and I'm going to do it. It was promised by God that Eve and all of her daughters throughout history would struggle with contentment in who God created them to be. Why? Because God loves you. That's why. And when you see how everything struggles in contentment with who God is and things struggle in contentment with you, you want to desire grace. And it's supposed to make you look at God and say, yes, I need grace and help you to understand salvation and redemption better. In our present day, uh, this promised conflict comes about in a very extreme form or most forms of feminism. Uh, the The gender war is fought under the guise of equality which many times is just little more than women coveting the domain that God has given to somebody else and being discontent with the own very high calling that God has given them. I believe we get much feminism today because Adam was a coward and women have a hard time trusting a man because men are so often are untrustworthy because they will not live as cultivators, warriors, and sages. See, I'm supposed to be talking about women, but I'm hammering the guys as I'm doing it too, so... Good, good for me. Now, because, because of this conflict, this conflict stretches the course of history. Uh, even today in our culture, there are certain myths that our culture buys, buys into because of this gender war that has sprung up. And I'm going to give you some myths, and then we're going to talk about some type of women in the book of Proverbs. And again, like I said, when I'm done, you'll all run out of here and be like, I'm never going back there to that place. So here's the myths about our culture. The first one is in regard to values. Uh, The first one is this, that men and women must be uh, the same to be equal. That is a myth. It is not true. Let me ask guys in the room, do you want to be a woman? No no guy raised their hand. There you go. See, it's more likely for a woman to simply covet the role of a man because they look at it and they want to help and they think, well, my goodness, he's not doing his job. I need to make sure that this job gets done. It's part of the curse. Listen, a female R&B, I got my money, I got my car, I got my house, I don't need you. You know, it's. I know. It's white boy rap, sorry. It's, it's usually not the other way around. It, ladies, if you hear nothing else from me this morning, walk away with this. You have nothing to prove. Nothing. You are a daughter of God, your father. You need to live in that. Live in that. The second thing is that a traditional woman is a biblical woman. Uh, that's a myth. Okay, a biblical woman is a biblical woman. You can be traditional all you want. It doesn't mean you're biblical. Simply be biblical. Here's another one. Uh, women should be tougher and men should be softer. Uh, that's a myth. Women don't need to learn how to fight. Men need to learn how to protect women and stop abusing them. I mean, women, you don't need to have a masculine side. Guys, you don't need to have a feminine side. Dogs don't have a cat side. It's, it's okay. <laughs> God created you to be a certain way. Uh, here's... 
This one's fun. Actually, somebody gave me a comment about this after service, last service, but whatever. Uh, here's, women are an oppressed minority group that need preferential entitlements. That's a myth. It's a myth. Uh, is there more men, or women, more men or women in our country? Women. Women. There's more women. Okay, so who lives longer or shorter lives, men or women? Women. Women. Women have, typically will live 10 years longer than a man. Okay, so I believe it's a great thing women vote, but see, we're all screwed because you just... Okay. Uh, yeah. Regarding work, regarding work, uh, the workplace is more important than the home. That is a myth. Now, in our culture today, what is more valued? Is it the home or the marketplace? The marketplace. What's more valued by Scripture? The home. The home. And so, what has this done to the home? Statistically, today you will see that more kids actually go into emergency rooms for mental emergencies than physical emergencies. Uh, teaching, uh, another one, teaching in domestics, like cooking and home ec, uh, is a disservice to women. That, that's, I think that's a total myth that our culture is trying to perpetrate today. Do you know in Scripture, making a budget is a godly thing? You shouldn't make a budget. In Scripture, who controlled the money? Women. Women. Tithing, investing, healthy eating, it's all women. It's this whole idea. Being a, a housewife or taking care of these, it's, it's an outdated and degrading career. No, that, that's a myth. You know, in 1968, the majority of women who are single and unmarried wanted to have four children and raise them. Holy cow. Today, it's like the exact opposite. Here's a myth regarding marriage. Uh, women should never be financially dependent on men. That's actually a myth. In Scripture, it, it is said that cultivator, warrior, and sage, your, your men are supposed to take care of you. They're supposed to take care of you. It doesn't mean you can't work. Or, I'm not saying don't go to college. and uh, Go to college. Okay, go to college. That's a good thing. But there's this whole thing that comes about. Well, if he leaves you, how are you going to take care of yourself? And, and people get really freaked out. I will tell you how to make most men really happy. Make them feel needed. Make them feel like they're needed. When a man feels like he's needed, he's like, I am so needed. And, and they feel very good. When a divorce happens, what typically will happen is women will want the kids. And men are like, okay. And they pay a little bit of child support. Statistically, a man's income goes up 28% after divorce, and a woman's income goes down. She lives in poverty and struggles to raise children as well as provide for them. And that's not her job. That's not her job. It's the guy's job to take care of his kids and his wife. And we look at that, these, these women struggling, and we call them liberated. That's crazy. You know, how nice of us. The guy goes off and he, and he makes more kids and raises somebody else's kids, and we call her liberated. It's crazy. Uh, here's another, I talked to somebody about this this week. It's just kind of funny. Household duties should be divided equally between the man and the woman like roommates. It's a myth. Genesis to Revelation. You never see the 50-50 deal. Anywhere. Anywhere in there. Uh, now, I, I'll tell you this. Men should learn how to, to help out around the house. That you shouldn't have to be doing everything. And that's because that's not what I'm saying. But many times men are clueless. And men need a list. My wife, I told you just a few weeks ago, says, Hey, you know, help me clean the house. I don't know what that means. Okay, because that can mean a million things. It could mean one thing. It could mean out, me outside with my toothbrush cleaning the outside of the house. I don't know what it means. You know, and she says, oh, I want you to do this, this, and this. And I go, oh, good, I got a list. And then I can do those three things, and I'm happy, and she's happy, and it's wonderful. Guys, guys are clueless. Guys will eat cereal out of a frying pan with a measuring spoon because they will walk past the sink every day, not even noticing that it's this full of dishes. Like, oh, I didn't notice that. I will wear the same clothes for weeks on end. I will go to the dirty clothes and go, oh, there's that shirt. Oh, it doesn't smell that bad, and put it on. My wife blesses all of you because she washes my clothes, and I don't stand up here, and you can't just smell me all morning long. You need to tell her thank you for that. 
A husband needs to learn how to be a husband, a cultivator, a warrior, and sage, and a wife simply needs to be a wife. Forget what the magazines tell you. They will screw you up all the time. Okay, myth regarding motherhood. Uh, professionals can raise children better than mothers. That is a myth. Professionals will raise midget demons because they will never spank them and discipline them. A mom is always better than a professional. So ladies, read your Bible. Get to know Jesus. Spend time praying with Him. Go with the leading of the Holy Spirit. Don't second guess what God has made you to be. And then uh, being a wife and a mother is a great sacrifice. That's a myth. It is a great joy. It's a great joy. And I'll give you one for men, just so I can punch them once here. Uh, men who support these lies do so because they love women. That's a myth. Men who support these lies because they want to get rid of the responsibility. And they need to be called to a higher calling. Now, I don't think I am a chauvinist simply because I think people should wait to have sex till they get married. Uh, because I don't think that a woman should declare war on her womb or her life or her home. I believe that God has created us to be so much more than what our culture calls us to be. Men, cultivator, warriors, and sages, women, mother, helper, daughters, lovers, creating a God-glorifying and honoring culture. So I'll show you some women, women from the book of Proverbs. Just like I showed you guys, none of the guys in Proverbs were uh, that flattering. And I'll, I'll give you one flattering one at the very end, but most of these are not that flattering. I'll just be really honest with you. About women. Okay, first type of woman in the book of Proverbs is the foolish woman. The foolish woman. Proverbs 9, verse 13. The woman folly is loud. She is undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. This is a woman who does not know what she's talking about, but she is loud. But she's loud. And so people go, oh, they must know what they're talking about. I'll listen to what they say because they're loud. <laughs> Anybody? Don't raise your hand. But yeah, yeah, we got that person in mind who that is. All the dumb people who come, come to my house. Some of you listen to the opinion of people you should not be listening to simply because they are loud. Number two, the embarrassing woman. Proverbs 11.22, like a gold ring and a pig's snout. What a great way to start a verse. Like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. I will tell you, ladies, some of you are beautiful and you know it and men will let you wear whatever you want, say whatever you want, do embarrassing things because they are lustful. They are lustful. And when a man conquers a woman like that, he checks them off their list and he moves on. He does not offer you dignity and grace. Do not be the embarrassing woman. Woman number three, the easy woman. Thinks a man will love her for sex. Proverbs 23, 26. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes keep to my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit and a wayward wife is a narrow well. Like a bandit, she lies in wait and multiplies the unfaithful among men. Proverbs 29, verse 3. A man who loves wisdom brings joy to his father, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. Some women are quick and cheap and easy because they think men like that. Ladies, you do not need to be one of the guys. You need to be a daughter of God, your father. And you should be in the presence of men after they've been with you because you would change instantly. And, uh, fourth type of woman, the expensive woman. This is the Gilligan's Island theology. You know, you've got the ginger and the Marianne. You know, the ginger likes all the, the sparkly jewels and the Marianne's like content with whatever because she raised on the farm. She marry the Marianne. I did. Literally marry the Marianne. 
Proverbs 31, verse 3. Do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. Uh, some women play men for money. I'll tell you, you could look like Chewbacca, be illiterate at 157 years old, and she will like you if you've got money. Number five, uh, this is the quarrelsome woman. This, these are the guys who spend all their time in like REI or camping world because they're always camping because they never want to be home. Always looking for camping here. They're giving up. Proverbs 25, verse 24. Uh, better to live on the corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Proverbs 19, 13. You're like, I'm never coming back to this church again. Proverbs 19, 13. A foolish son is his father's ruin, and a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping. It's like, oh, but he's got to know how I feel. He knows how you feel. Okay? He, he knows. Number six. This is the moody woman. It's like you never know which woman's going to be home and they get you know, walking in. It's like, oh, is she the nice? Is the wicked witch of the west? You peek in the kitchen. It's like, ah, you're like, I got to go. This is never my wife. Ever. She's just put that out there. She'll listen to the podcast. It'll be good. Proverbs 21, verse 19 and 20. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. Uh, and again, I hammered on the guys. So ladies, just take your medicine. Okay, uh, number seven. This is the flirtatious woman. Flirtatious woman. This is a woman who maintains all of her femininity, but she abuses it. Every guy notices the flirtatious woman. Women, you see it. Guys are like, oh, she's so nice. And women are like, that's a demon in a dress. <laughs> Run away. Proverbs 5, verse 3. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Proverbs 7, verse 10. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. Uh, if you are married, ladies, keep your husbands away from these women. They will say, oh, you're so strong, you're so smart. And the guy will be like, of course I am. I'm a dude. Guys are like lambs to the slaughter. They just go in. Now, if you're married, ladies, you need to learn this skill with your husband because this is a very advantageous skill for you. If you go into it, oh, you're so great. You're so, oh, you do this so well. You're so, guys will fall over themselves trying to please you because guys love to be told how great they are. Right? Guys, you need to say yes and then your wife will do it. It's like, oh, I don't want to say that. I was going to. I believe the sovereignty of God extends to your hemline and your neckline both. You know, some women you know, wear these crazy outfits, and it's like, oh, I didn't know I caused guys to stumble. Right. It's like a guy driving 300 miles an hour and gets pulled over by a CHP, and like, oh, I didn't know that was illegal. Seriously, it, we know. And so here's the last one. This is a rare jewel. And when you read this, it's like, oh, nobody can live up to that. Well, you know, maybe, maybe not. But it's, it's a good goal to see. Because in Proverbs it says this, this is a great woman. Proverbs is a book that is all about wisdom. And in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is represented by a woman. Proverbs 31, you get insight into a woman who combines feminine strength, wisdom to be an unequaled wife and mother and worshiper and businesswoman and minister with a life filled with abundant joy and fruitfulness. Be plenty of parking here next week, as I said. Uh, and so I believe that this, this was Esther. This is what Esther was turning into. And my question for you ladies as we talk about this is, is this you? If you're not married, do you make a guy work for you? You should. Make him work hard for you. And then you say, you know, when we both say I do, that, that's when you get to. But when you are married, make his life a joy as best as you can. Because hopefully he will in turn make your life a joy. Don't beat him up all the time. Here we go. Proverbs 31, starting in verse 10. 
A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers the field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants the vineyard. See, so she controls the money. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes a seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Now the question is, who are you? Don't hate me for asking. Don't shoot the messenger. Okay? You've got to ask the question because it needs to be asked. And I will tell you, you, you look at these things in scripture and you go man who who am i and what am i called to be and sometimes it's like i want so bad to be this thing and, and i don't feel like i can rise up to that i will tell you just like i told the guys that all the guys have failed in being who god calls them to be as cultivator warrior and sage and i guarantee you at some point every woman in this room has failed in being mother daughter lover helper but this is the grace and the good news of jesus christ because he brings redemption he can make us into the type of people we were always meant to be. And that is the good news of the gospel. You can be greater than you can ever imagine because God will make you into his child, a daughter fully loved by him, not listening to everything else around you telling you what to be, but simply being a daughter of your father, resting in his grace and his arms. This is one of the reasons every week I bring you guys to communion. Because communion reminds us of the redemption that was offered to us as a people. You take that cracker and you break it like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice, which reminds us of Christ's blood that was shed for you and I. I was talking to somebody this week, and, and they were like, you know, I don't like sometimes that we always have to get up and take communion. And I said, but that's exactly how it should be. I, I don't want to pass you guys cups out for communion and go, oh, here you go. It needs to be a response to something you hear and something you do. It is a response of worship, of honoring our God. So if you never don't want to take communion, you don't have to. But you get to get up out of your seat, step forward in response to what God has done as worship of Him. And this, again, is the beauty of redemption that Christ offers us. As a people, we can be who He made us to be through His redemption and His grace. Not because we are so good, but because He is so good. The band's going to come up, and they're going to do a couple songs. And as they do, I invite you to take communion. Uh, I invite you, if you'd like to, you can go in the back. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you uh, feel like I need some prayer to understand this better, uh, let them pray with you. If you need prayer for anything, they would love to pray with you. If you don't know who Jesus is and all this sounds like crazy gibberish, go pray with them. They would love to pray and introduce you to Jesus Christ. Uh, we, uh, we worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall and in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. We worship God through fellowship. So there'll be some coffee and some things to eat in the back and whatever the band didn't eat while they were standing back there. 
just the guest room. Uh, and, and this way, hopefully, you can connect with some other people and maybe get involved in the small group so you can start living out gospel community in your lives in every day of the week. I mean, this, sometimes these are hard questions to ask each other. I mean, I, I, it, it's a hard time when I actually have to go to my wife and go, hey, so what type of woman do you think you are? I'm going to talk about this this week. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> or not. Okay. She, she, my wife is great. She, she really is. Uh, but, but this is the thing. You know, when, you, when you're around other people and friends, they can ask you some of these hard questions that need to be asked and maybe help spur you on the journey that we all need to be on. Uh, believe me, no one is, is going to be you know, like this perfect woman. But by God's grace, we can get better and better and better living as his kids because he is our good God. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would take us as your people and have us understand the grace that you have so generously given to us. And this grace encompasses more than what we think. This grace encompasses our salvation. It encompasses that, but it also encompasses how we live. And that when we act stupidly, your grace still covers that and calls us home to be the people you call us to be. So today, have your spirit speak to our hearts in such a way that we listen more to your conviction than the conviction of what our culture tries to tell us so that we could be kids, sons of our Father, daughters of our Father, who fully reflect the grace and the goodness of you in our lives that you would make the relationships that we are involved in healthier because we are being changed into the people you have called us to be. We thank you for being a God that is so much greater and so much more good than we could ever imagine. Teach us to listen deeply and intently to your calling. Amen.